You're listening to the Sojourn Mantras podcast. We're currently in the book of Philippians. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmantras.com. We've been walking through Philippians, and, and today's the conclusion of that sermon series. And so if, if this is your first time, like um, you're, you're kind of being thrown into the deep end of the pool, um, I, I want you to know that um, all of our sermons are available online. So if you are interested and want to sort of see the, the, the journey that we've taken to get here, um, I would encourage you to, to do that, to look that up there. Um, so yeah, but essentially Philippians has been two things, right? The, the, the first thing that it's been is a, a letter of encouragement to a, a small church, a, a group essentially of, of ragtag believers in this city called Philippi in the greater area known as Macedonia, um, who Paul just loves and cares for deeply. And essentially what Paul is doing is just encouraging them to continue in light of the gospel, right? We talked about last week how chapter one, verse 27 is really kind of the thesis statement of the, of the whole letter, which is that they would side by side strive together for the sake of the gospel, right? So it's, a, it's an encouraging letter. It's a, a letter with some nuance, right? To help these believers continue to follow Jesus together uh, as one, right? But then the second thing that, that Philippians is, and, and that maybe is, is less obvious, is this really, it's, a, it's a, a letter from Paul of great thanksgiving for the people at Philippi, right? And so um, we see that um, in chapter one. And, and, and so fittingly, this letter sort of has two conclusions in that like last week, we could have ended the letter and it, it would have been very appropriate, an appropriate ending to the letter. Um, and we saw how it was tied to chapter one. Well, this particular portion is still incredibly fitting and is also linked back to chapter one. And, and ultimately what we see here is that the Philippian church, their concern for both Paul and for the gospel manifested itself in a certain way um, that Paul was particularly thankful for, right? Um, so today's sermon is titled Giving in the Gospel. Um, and we're going to pray right now. So if you want to get up and leave, then you can, um, but you don't have to. Everything's going to be okay, I promise. Um, I know that the G word is, is not comfortable, but we'll get through it, and I think it'll be really good. I think the Lord will work not only in us, but through us in light of this word. So let's pray. Father God, you're good, um, and you are generous to your people. Father, Second um, Corinthians tells us, God, that although you were rich, it was for our sake that you became poor in order that we might be rich. And so God, you've been generous to us in giving us yourself. God, not material things, but giving us yourself. Um, and so God, I just pray that um, as we look through what it, uh, what it really means to, to, to give in light of the gospel, um, God, that you would just be kind to us, that you would lend to us your spirit, God, that we would see the text for what it really is, God, that we would journey with one another in grace closer and closer to Christ-likeness um, for the sake of your name. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, cool. Everyone's still here. Um, well, with that said, I, I mentioned briefly in the introduction that um, what we have read in this final portion is completely and totally linked to chapter one. And so I do want to read um, that portion from chapter one, uh, verses three through five. Um, and you're welcome to, to turn there if you would like. Um, here we go. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until 
now, right? And so here's, here's what's gonna happen. We turn over to verse 10, and, and this is what Paul says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, um, the temptation for us here as we get into Paul having a conversation with this church at Philippi about their physical, like financial support of Paul, our, our temptation is going to be to look at this as, as sort of utilitarian. And what I mean by that is that the relationship between Paul and the church at Philippi is going to appear at first to be something that is simply born out of necessity, right? So essentially, what, to, to bring it down even, even a notch further, what it's going to appear is that, the, is that Paul is sort of using the church at Philippi to meet his needs. And yet, by reading that, that first set of verses in chapter one, what we can purely and plainly see is that what, what Paul is first and foremost rejoicing about in that verse 10 is not so much the outward expression of gospel care, but the inward work that the gospel is doing in the hearts and the minds of the people in the church at Philippi that is now expressing itself in a renewed or revived concern for Paul. And I think any time that, that a pastor or a church in general gets up and they begin to talk about this subject, more often than not, those of us who are in the seats begin to feel as though we are simply a number, we are simply something, a resource to be used in order to fulfill the needs of either A, the pastor, or B, hopefully, the church. And yet, my, my hope is this morning that, that we would see that not only is Paul's rejoicing not based on utility, but based on relationship, but that my, that my plea, that as we talk about what it looks like for us to be a generous people, that it's not based on utility. Like that we share a friendship, a bond that is really higher than any other bond or friendship, even, even family, right? So like Jesus talks about how the gospel makes us a new family, which is good news because there's a good chance that we might offend our family to such a degree that we might lose them, right? That's, that's in the gospels. He's saying like, you, you have to follow me. Some, sometimes this gospel is gonna set sister against brother. It's gonna set mother against daughter. It's gonna set father against son. But the good news is we're a new family in Christ, right? That we have new heritage. We have new blood running through our veins. And so just know this. My, my plea this morning as I as I call us to greater generosity in light of the gospel. It's not as a means to an end, but rather it's in friendship extending to you the great joy of partnering for the sake of the gospel. And that that's what's taking place here with Paul. He is rejoicing and he's rejoicing in the fact that the gospel has worked in the hearts and minds of the Philippians to the degree that it would express itself in a, in a tangible way but let's not, let's not be so concerned with what's on the surface and let's look to what Paul is really rejoicing in, which is that God is doing a work of grace in them. So let's continue reading here. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Which, when we read that in in context, maybe it doesn't mean what we always thought it meant, right? Maybe it doesn't mean you're going to PR on your deadlift tomorrow. But maybe what it does mean is that the Lord purposes to walk with you in and through every situation that he has sovereignly placed you in. I had to do that just as a side note. Let's get back to what we were talking about, though. Now, here's what we see, right? So Paul is rejoicing greatly now that after a a length of time, the, the Philippian church has revived their concern for him. And then he takes this turn in verse 11 that almost sounds, to be honest, a little bit rude, doesn't it? Like this is a people who have given to him, who have cared for him. We're going to see the extent to which they've done that in just a moment. But, but this is what he says. I rejoice that you've given me these things. And then he says, but not that I really needed it. Right? Like if somebody did that to me, you know, like I'm just thinking if I gave like a really good Christmas gift and, and somebody said to me, thanks, that's awesome. But I don't really need it. I'd be like, well, shoot, I'm taking it back then. You know? And yet, and yet that is absolutely not the posture that, that Paul has here. Again, what, what Paul is leading us to is that which is, which is underneath the surface, right? So, so what we see on the surface is that the Philippian church has been greatly generous. They've revived their concern for him through a physical gift. And yet Paul is saying, look, it's not, it's not about the gift itself. He's saying, look, no, whether you gave a gift or whether you didn't, God is good and God is going to carry me in and through all seasons, seasons of great want and seasons of great plenty, right? And that's what he's saying. So um, what we need to do, I think, at this point, just to, just to draw it in for you and for me um, is, to, is to understand this. Paul is, is talking about this idea that, that really was in um, chapter three, which we'll address in just a second but that, that Christ is sufficient. Like that, that Jesus really, literally, truly, in every way, shape, and form is all that Paul needs in any given situation. And so what's great about Paul is that we have an example for us of a guy who has seen both sides of the spectrum, right? Like, like most of us in the room haven't really been sort of on that broad pendulum swing from like great, great want to, to great, great plenty, right? I mean, some of us may have experienced varying degrees of that, but Paul has experienced literally the highest and the lowest. Now, if you're a Christian, then like Paul, right, we have to learn to live in light of both of those things, right? So in this room this morning, there's going to be some of you who uh, sit in a place of great want, like you're in a place of need, right? This morning. And so when I said the word giving, you were like, great. And then some of you just did that anyway. <laughs> but then there's also folks in the room this morning who have plenty currently, like, like you're, doing, you're doing well for yourself. And yet what Paul what Paul is showing for us here is that in both giving and receiving, there's a way in which we walk in that that is glorifying to God, whether we are in need or whether we are in want. I mean, sorry, in plenty. 
Now, I think there's just a, a couple different ways in which that happens. And so I'm going to make, for, for time's sake, a gross oversimplification. But let me just say this. If you're in the room this morning and you are in a place of want, you're in a place of need physically, spiritually, like resource-wise, like money's tight, all those things, right? We are still called to give in faith that God will provide for our needs. And so Matthew chapter six has something um, greatly comforting for you this morning if, if you're in that place. Um, especially right now, if you're feeling maybe, maybe guilty or pressure, right? So Matthew chapter six, verse 25 says this. This is Jesus himself speaking. And he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And so let me just say this this morning, right? We're, we're going to get into the specifics about like giving and why and, and all those, all, answer all those other questions. But let me, let me just say this. If you're in need this morning, and in particular, if you're in need and you're a believer, have you ever, have you ever met a bird that, God said was made in his image? Have, have you ever met a bird that looked upon the sacrifice of the cross of Jesus and said, that's it. At that moment, my, my sin, my debt was paid for and now I'm made alive in Christ. Have you ever met a bird that said, my inheritance is in heaven with Jesus, secured for me in a, place, in a place that neither thief can steal nor moth can destroy? The answer to that's no. No. And yet those are things that the Lord has decreed or said over you, right? Like if you're a Christian in the room this morning, that's what you've staked your entire life upon those statements, Right? And so what Jesus is saying here is, look, I take care of the birds. Will I, not, will, will I not also take care of my own? Are you not of more value than they are? And again, the, the easy answer to that question is yes. Jesus purchased you with his blood. And so if you're in want or in need this morning and, and the call to give or the call to, to, to generosity in light of the gospel scares you, frightens you, just know that, that, that your Jesus, that your Jesus ensures that not even, not a sparrow falls to the ground unless the Lord wills it. Surely, surely he will not let you fall. And if you're in plenty this morning, right? So, so if you're in want, you give in faith that God will provide for your needs, right? That's how, that's how the gospel works on your heart, how it tears away from you the idols of this world. If you're in plenty, then, then you give in humility and without strings attached, knowing that every gift comes from above, right? So the gospel, the gospel that, that calls us to generosity works in all of our hearts across the board, whether calling us to faith or whether calling us to humility, Right? So James chapter one, verse 17 um, has something good for us to read, I think. It says this, 
every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So look, it doesn't matter whether you are in plenty of the gospel or whether you are in plenty of finances or whatever it may be. One, that gift is from God. And then two, it's to be exercised for God. And so what what giving does for those of us who are in plenty is it calls us to remember not only where all that we have came from, but who it ultimately belongs to. So here's what I would say, and I think we need to draw this out. We need to sort of understand some of those implications for the church because anytime, anytime the church talks about money, um, there's a little bit of cynicism in all of our hearts. And I think I would say that that's true for me too. So that doesn't make it easy for me to get, to get up and, and talk about these things, right? Um, because I think for, for a long time, the church has gone to really great length to kind of discredit itself in this area, right? You've seen sort of abuse after abuse after abuse. And yet, I think much of that has come because in the same way that we as individuals struggle to give and to be generous, our churches also struggle to give and be generous. And so I think over time, throughout the life of Sojourn, I have no idea how long it's going to exist or, or what's, what God's going to do with it. I don't know if we're going to experience times of great want or if we're going to experience times of great plenty. But either way, these concepts, this, this call to walk in this manner of generosity is still the same. And so let me just share with you quickly what my hope would be for Sojourn. And that would be that if we are in want as a church, if our ch- church struggles to meet needs in, in, in many ways, right? Not, like not even just financially, but even just with the gospel. Maybe we're weak. Maybe we're, we're not filled up. We're feeling that, that, that dark night of the soul. It's, a, it's an empty, it's a dry season. My hope is that we would still be generous with the gospel, that we would still give knowing that we must and knowing that God provides when it's needed, in the amount that it's needed, for the duration that it's needed. And then the second thing I would, I would say is, man, if, if for whatever reason the Lord just continues to bless Sojourn like he already has, which he has, man, that we would give in humility, knowing that God is doing something much larger than Sojourn, much larger than what we are doing here, securing for himself a people from all corners of the earth, Right? I mean, how silly, how self-absorbed would we have to be to, to see God just reap blessing upon blessing upon our church and say that that all belongs or goes here. And here's what I would say. If, you are, if you're thinking about, A, calling this church your home, or if you're looking for a church home, can I just tell you this? A church that doesn't give to gospel endeavors outside of its doors, outside of its focus is self-absorbed, one, and two, pitiable. And what I mean by that is it's worthy of our pity. And here's why. Because it robs its people and its leaders from the opportunity to see God move. That's what it does. It robs its people and its leaders of the opportunity to see God move. So whether you stay here or whether you go somewhere else, man, like, 
ensure, ensure that that church is looking at, at, at God's mission as what it really is, which is a global mission for his glory, not our own. Okay, so let's, let's keep moving. So we're in uh, verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Right, so this is Paul almost getting a little schizophrenic on us, right? He's, he's grateful, and then he's like, but I didn't really need it. And then he's grateful again. And then he says this, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And this is, that, that verse, that verse goes on to reaffirm this, the statement that we made at the beginning of the sermon, which is that Paul, again, is not after the finances of the people of the church at Philippi. He's after relationship with them, and he is prayerfully hoping that the Lord will continue to both work in and through them in such a way that it would manifest itself. Like that gener- generosity is one way in which the gospel manifests itself, but it also manifests itself in unity, which he's called them to, right? It also manifests itself in humility, which he's called them to walk in towards one another. And so Paul's rejoicing again is in the work of the gospel, the, the, um, the fruit that increases to your credit. So again, let's dig below the surface and see what, what the gospel is really doing and what Paul is actually rejoicing in. And let's not divorce that from the outward expression of the gospel, which is, in this case, generosity. Now, I, I do want to say something real quick about this verse, and I wasn't going to, but I think it's, it's helpful. Um, where, when Paul says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, because we preach a grace-based gospel, I think, and, and that's, that's true, right? <laughs> um, let me just say that. But because we preach a grace-based gospel, I think more often than not, we have an aversion to understanding that the Lord also rewards his people. Like that there really is a tangible, real reward for the good works that, that we do here. Which is why Paul is so excited that, that those things are increasing, that that fruit is increasing in the church at Philippi because it's to their credit. Now, let me, some of you guys are tensing up a little bit, right? Because you're like, okay, well, wait, so is it, how does that work out? Like, are there levels? And the answer to that is no, because again, we go back to Ephesians chapter two, right? It's grace, grace-based gospel, but then we go to Verse 10, and it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do, right? So again, you're getting rewarded for the good work that he prepared for you, right? So again, it all comes back to Jesus, to his grace, to his mercy, but it necessitates that there is some outward expression, some means of showing, doing the gospel. And in this particular instance, it's through their generosity, so here's what I would say. And I, I'm going to make a statement, I think, that um, at first will maybe sting a little bit, but then I'll, I'll make it feel better. <laughs> if, if you're a Christian in the room, 
there's only one good reason to not be giving, and that's that you're not a Christian. Like that, that, the gener- that the generosity of Jesus towards us in the gospel by necessity, when it takes root in our hearts, causes us to be generous. Now, let me say this. Okay, so that was the sting. This is the aloe. <laughs> For some of us, we, we really are Christians. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not calling you into in question or your salvation into question. Don't, don't go home and, and sort of weep over that. But... But some of you are Christians in the room and you need to repent. Like you need to repent, trust in Jesus that there is grace enough for your past, but move forward in light of his goodness and in an effort to image his grace, his generosity towards us by imaging his grace and his generosity towards one another through the church. So look, what I don't want you to do is sit in guilt and shame. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about that in a second. But then I would also want to say this. If you're not a Christian in the room, I want you to hear this also, right? I'm not talking to you when I talk about these, this sort of call to generosity that I'm about to make really practical. My, my honest desire, my honest desire, if you're not a Christian in the room, is one, that this would be a safe place to admit that. And then two, that you would let Jesus change your heart and then let him change how you use your money. Because if we, if we put that cart before that horse, and it's a, that's a big horse, right? If we put that cart before that horse, we will never, ever be able to actually do that which Paul is calling us to here, to walk in that kind of sacrificial generosity that is not just born out of moralism and sort of earning your way to God. And that's absolutely not what is taking place here. God has done a great work and from it flows out great generosity. So here's what I want to say. I, I, I want to look at three ways that Christians should not give and then three ways that Christians should give, right? And while this morning, let me just say this, while this morning I think is, is generally focused on physical gifts, so finance and things like that, I think this is also very much true of our time, of our talents, like any resource that we can bring into the family of God and exercise for the glory of God, these principles apply to. So three ways that Christians should not give. Number one, only because there's a, a distinct need, right? So we're gonna talk about some things that are coming up in the life of Sojourn that, that, we, that we have a distinct need for, like that we want to be able to do in the future. And yet, if, if you're just going to give to that portion and it stops right then and there, you give a one-time gift and, it's, and that's it. Like, we're not getting to what's really happening underneath the surface, which is God changing your heart, right? That you might continue to walk in grace. All right, so that would be giving irregularly. The second, second way that Christians should not give out of guilt and shame, right? You should not, if you, look, there is no number that you can, maybe it's been a while since you've given and you're like, uh, you're doing the math and you're like, okay, if I, if I were to make up, it would be this amount of dollars, whatever it might be. Like, just stop. There is, there is no, no size check. There's, there's no amount of cash that you can put in that envelope. There's no amount of money that you can type in and then click submit that will ever make you right. 
The good news is that Jesus already has, right? So, so the debt that maybe you feel like you owe to the church, like just, just know Jesus, Jesus paid it. It's paid in full. There's not an ounce left to be made up. There's no tip to pay. There's nothing. There's no tax, zero. Your debt is paid in Jesus. And so you can give freely, free from shame, free from guilt, knowing that God has been generous to you in Christ. And so we shouldn't give cheerlessly. And the third way, we shouldn't give without having to forego something. And what I mean by that is that if our giving, if we are currently giving of anything and it doesn't cause us to sort of maybe weigh up whether I should buy or obtain this thing or whether I should spend my time here doing this thing, if it doesn't cause us to put something in the balance, then really our giving is not costing us anything. And so that kind of giving would not be sacrificial. And so if you've been around Sojourn for any amount of time and you're still awake at the end of the gathering, you know what I'm about to say next, right? The three ways that Christians should give. Christians should give in all seasons because together with Paul, we can say this, right? I'm not in need because I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. So brothers and sisters, my hope is that we would know how to abound and, how, and we would know how to be in need or how to be brought low. Knowing that there's, there's, not, there, there's not some exception for those of us who sit at a certain level. So we should give regularly. Second one. We should give out of gospel friendship with Jesus and one another, right? Like we give, we give in light of the good things that, that Jesus has done, right? Like we've been secured in Christ as a family. Now you provide for your earthly family, right? How much more should we, we provide for the family that has been established forever, not the one that will pass away here? And that, that, look, I'm not saying don't take care of your family, all right? But I'm just saying like there's great impetus for us to care for one another because of our brotherhood, our sisterhood, our adoption into the family of God by the work of Jesus through the gospel. So we should give cheerfully, right? Like we, we should give knowing that like seriously, we have a, a treasure, a, an, an inheritance that is laid up for us in a place that, it, that it's safe for all time because it's Jesus's inheritance that we're sharing. It's unbelievable. Yeah, we should give cheerfully. And in the third way, we should give denying ourselves for the sake of the gospel as Jesus denied himself for our sake, right? So we should give sacrificially. It should cost us something. It should cause us to weigh up what we really need and what we maybe don't really need. Here's what I'm going to do. I think, I think this is helpful for us. Um, there's a portion of a letter that Paul writes to uh, the church at Corinth. Um, and it's in, it's in actually the second letter to Corinth. And it's in chapter eight. And, and what Paul is doing is he's describing to the church at Corinth um, the, the, the church at Philippi. And I think our, 
our tendency maybe, maybe, would be to read this text about the church at Philippi and say, well, maybe they just had like an excess of money and they just wanted to kind of like bless, right? There's a, there's a very wealthy woman in the church at Philippi named Lydia. She's like, she, I mean, she's a, she's a mogul, you know, like she's got money. And so you would think that, um, well, maybe they just had it. It was just kind of laying around. They were like, I don't know what to do with this. So we'll just give it to Paul. And 2 Corinthians is going to paint for us an entirely different story. And so I'm just going to read verses 1 through 7 in chapter 8. You're welcome to follow along. It says this. We want you to know, brothers, so this is the brothers at Corinth, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, hold on to that. The grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Okay, so two, two things that don't go together there, right? In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I've never had anybody beg me to give, right? And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. Again, remember, like, let's keep what's, what's primary, primary. What, what is it that happen, is happening under the surface? People are giving themselves first to the Lord, and in light of that, they're now giving themselves to others. And then it says this, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, giving as an act of grace. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. So two things we see here, right? In the church at Philippi, (laughs) not only were they not in excess, they weren't even just doing fine, right? Paul says they were in extreme poverty. And yet that somehow that has turned into an overflow that is so significant that Paul feels the need to talk to the church at Corinth and say, look at the grace of God. Important, look at the grace of God playing itself out in the church in Macedonia. And then he goes on to say, look, as you grow in these things, you should also grow in this. It is a gift of grace. How many, people, how many of you guys walked in the room this morning and were like, man, I'd, you know, I'd love to grow in my faith this morning. I'd love to grow in my understanding this morning. I'd love to grow in knowledge of truth this morning. I'd like to grow in grace this morning. Not many of us walked in this morning. I'd like to grow in generosity this morning. And yet, Paul puts that, that learning, that, that striving to excel in those areas, he puts on the same level with striving to excel in generosity. Unbelievable. Because I don't know about you, but for me, it's regularly difficult to click that submit button when I see those numbers next to it. It is, man. 
Like I know what's coming up in the month. We've got doctor's appointments. We've got all these things, you know, and it's like, and, and don't, I'm not complaining. I'm just, I'm trying to help you understand that it's okay to feel that way. And yet it's also, it's also absolutely a calling upon us to, to move forward anyway and to let the Lord calm our fears with his faithfulness rather than our own strength, our own ability to provide. Unbelievable. Then it goes on to say this, just in case we needed sort of a a theological reason. In verse nine, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Brothers and sisters, look, we're not getting into this prosperity gospel thing here but you are rich in Christ beyond your wildest dreams. You've been given the one thing that you could never earn enough, do enough, be enough to obtain, and yet you've been given it freely. It's amazing. I think there's one, there's one big problem that, that I'd like to address, and then we can kind of get into the, the conclusion of things. And I, I want to share some things that are coming up for Sojourn. Um, and so that'll feel maybe a little bit more business-like. I, I apologize, but um, it's necessary for us to do. Um, often, often we equate giving, right, or being generous with sacrifice, right? So we say, if I do this, thus I am sac- I'm sacrificial. When I give, I am sacrificial. And while, while I don't think it was ever meant to be harmful or to be unhelpful, I think using that language or equating those two things is both harmful and unhelpful. And here's why. If we look at the surface, it is a sacrifice. But if we go back to Philippians chapter three and we read what Paul says in verse eight, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and find them in him. So look, anything, just like we said in that sermon, anything that we lose on this side of creation, we not only gain in Christ, but we gain it in its fullness. So everything here is a shadow of all the goodness and the generosity that that God seeks to bestow on us and will bestow on us in the new, new, new heavens and the new earth. And so brothers and sisters, for us, giving is not a sacrifice. Because you know what giving is, really? It's, it's clearing out that old musty room in our hearts filled with garbage and letting Jesus take up residence there. That's what's taking place. We're moving things out of the way so that Jesus might take up full residence in our hearts. And that is what Paul is rejoicing over in this portion. Not necessarily in the gift, but in what the gift signifies. In that the gift tells us that there are healthy, good things happening underneath the surface. That the gospel of Jesus is taking over hearts and minds. So, 
my, my hope, brothers and sisters, is that we as, as sojourn would experience this gift of grace. So, so do you see now how, how this is not born out of utility? Granted, I, I am going to talk about some things that, that sojourn wants to do, would like to do, needs to do. But that's not ultimately why we do these things. My, my reason for calling us to these things is, is so much greater in that as your pastor and really just fellow sheep underneath the good shepherd, like that we would experience his grace to a greater level, to a greater degree, that we might be found satisfied in Jesus. So that's, that's the invitation. Know that, all right? We're, we're gonna get into particulars here, but that's the invitation. That's my hope. That's my, that's, my, that's my whole job. Like That's what God has called me to do. That's what God tells me in Hebrews 13, I'm going to have to give an account for, is for your souls. And so my hope is that both your soul and my soul would be enraptured by Jesus and that it would manifest itself in every way possible in our generosity, in our humility, in our unity, in our love for one another, over and over and over again to the glory of God alone. So with that said, let me break for a minute and just get kind of family business, right? So if you're um, not a member of Sojourn, don't sit under the weight, the weight of this. It's okay. Like, um, but you're certainly welcome, obviously, to observe. Um, we are heading into, this is the final, uh, final sermon in Philippians. We're heading into a season called Advent. Um, it's the beginning of the church calendar, which um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to post some material about that on the blog so that um, we have some clarity as to what that means. So if you're if you're hearing that and you're like, I have no idea what that is, that's okay. There'll be some resources available shortly. Um, but Advent essentially is a season in which the church traditionally has celebrated not only the, the first Advent or coming of Christ, right, as, as a baby in human form, right, just like Philippians described for us, but it's also a time in which we look forward to the second coming that Revelation tells us about, like that Jesus is coming back, that he's going to make all things his own, that he's going to reign and rule in peace over all creation, a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, right? Um, so that's what Christmas is about, in case you, were, you know, <laughs> if we were confused on that. Um, and so here's what we want to do, right? We as a church want to cultivate rhythms all the time of, uh, of generosity, again, of unity, of humility, all those things, praying together, loving one another, serving one another. And what we're going to do uh, in December from, from this point on uh, until, you know, um, the Lord shuts our doors, which hopefully isn't ever, really, because he gets glory from this stuff. Um, but what we want to do is establish a rhythm of gospel generosity in our culture's most excessive season. All right, so this is, this is the part of the year where our culture will, will literally murder someone else to get something that they think that they need or is, yeah, necessary. And so we, in that season, although we're generous all throughout the year, in that season, we want to all the more loudly proclaim that Christ is king and that in him is all that we need. So that's, that, that, that's why we're, we're doing this. Now, let me tell you sort of the specifics as to what we're doing, okay? So every December, we're going to do, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, a giving campaign. And that sounds kind of military and weird, um, but it is what it is, right? We're going to do a giving campaign, and, and every year we're going to set that number at a number that we think is sacrificial, that it's, it's going to cost us something, right? 
uh, not, not only individually as people giving to it, but as a church collectively, as the church gives as well. So here's what we're doing. We are in the month of December, hoping, praying, asking that we would be characterized as a generous people in the amount of $30,000 above our normal giving. Just breathe. It's going to be okay. But we're, we're doing that first and foremost, again, to speak to our culture very clearly that Jesus really is the reason for the season. That was super cheesy. I got to lighten the mood a little bit, right? But there's also, honestly, a real intangible need, right? So there's, there's three things that this money's going to go to, and I want to explain where and why, for clarity's sake. You'll get more information on it as it comes out, just so you know. So um, I, I also don't want to keep you here for forever. Um, but the first thing that it'll go to, we want, we want to root ourselves in Montrose for the sake of making disciples, multiplying parishes, and planting churches, right? And if you haven't noticed lately, like um, we, we have a space problem, which is why there's two of these gatherings. We have a space problem, but that also means that we have a mission problem, which is really what's at the heart of that. Right, we we want to be a place where we're inviting, exposing people to the gospel community, both on our Sunday gatherings and in our neighborhood parish gatherings and all throughout the week. And the fact of the matter is that we just don't have much more room to do that. And if you did bring a friend today, I'm sorry that it was today. <laughs> You're like, oh, dang it. Um, but yeah, um, so with that said, we're, we're looking, we're hunting down space to gather in. And yet the fact of the matter is that anytime there's, there's a service or a facility or something that needs to be, be provided, like there's a cost that goes along with that, right? So our expenses are going to go up. Um, and yet um, what we're trying to do in this is to help ensure that there is a smooth transition, right? We're in a place essentially where we really can't grow. Um, we want to get a place, in a place where we can, not because we need numbers, but because God is glorified when numbers of people come to Jesus, right? That's why in the book of Acts, it says, and day by day, the Lord added to their what? Their number. And so we, would, we just want to make sure that we can do that without having to, to stress too much. Um, and we won't because the Lord provides, right? Um, so 80% of that $30,000 figure is going specifically to that, to make sure that we can head into the new year, lease a new facility, get the things that we need to, to set up that facility and, and not have to sort of like, yeah, w- just wonder what's going to happen, right? Now, the, um, the, the last 20% is going two different places, right? We've always said that we're going to be a church that plants churches. In fact, we were, many of us were a part of a church that planted us, Right? And so, um, Lord willing, next year, there will be two more Sojourn church plants in the city of Houston, um, which let that sink in for a moment. That's, that's huge. That's incredible. The Lord has been incredibly generous to us, right? There's all kinds of statistics about how church plants fare and the likelihood of their survival. And, and yet what has happened at Sojourn is that not only have we planted one church in the Heights, but that that church then planted us and that now we have the privilege of planting, Lord willing, again, two more. That is awesome. And one of the reasons I think that we've been able to do that is because our people have been generous. Like that the, that 
the moment that we stepped out into this, that Sojourn Heights was like, okay, here's 20,000 and we're going to give you 30,000 over the duration of this next year. It's a big number. Right? And so 10% of that 10% of that $30,000 is going to go to supporting those two Sojourn Church plants that are starting next year. Again, Lord willing. And then the other 12% is for us to partner with the global church planting movement by giving financially, right, to the ministry work that is happening in Europe. Right now, specifically in Italy is where we have connections, right? Um, and so we, again, like the church at Philippi, we want to make sure that in-house things are taken care of, but we don't want to just be so focused on in-house that we don't understand that the gospel is a global gospel, that it's a gospel for all peoples in all places, and we want to be a part of that. And so we're going to give 10% of it to that. Um, so I'm going to give you a, sort of some specifics um, as far as what I would ask you to do. Um, and we can all then breathe deeply and tell each other that it'll be okay. In a time of increased need, I'm going to challenge us sojourners in the month of December to give double what you normally give. Yeah. (laughs) And yes, I do know that two times zero is still zero, so don't be snarky. (laughs) But look, we're committing our church to do the same thing this month. Right? We'll give away 20% of whatever we take in on top of the normal 10% that we give away already. So every month we give away 10%, but we're also going to give away now 20% of what we take in specifically for the Advent campaign. So in the same way that I know, I know I'm going to have to look at my, my bank and go, how are we going to make this work? The church is going to do the same thing. Um, and we're going to walk in that and we're going to ask the Lord that it would be a gift of grace to us. Like that where we push the idols of this world out, that he would fill that space with his spirit, with his grace, with his mercy, with his kindness, his love, his generosity to us in Christ Jesus. So as far as like specifics and stuff and and details, like you'll get more of that as the week comes on. There'll be a, a specific fund on the city if you give through the city where you can sort of denote whether you're just giving to general fund or whether you're giving to Advent. Um, if you write a check, you can, you know, just write it in the memo so that we know and we can allocate those uh, appropriately. Um, but let me finish with this. And this is, I think, incredibly appropriate. It says this, verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So do you see that? It's not riches and glory. It's riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So we will receive glory in Christ, from Christ, because of Christ. And then it says this, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so brothers and sisters, truly, we are sojourners. And by giving to the gospel cause, we not only illustrate that our home is not here, but we illustrate more importantly, that there's a much better home worthy of losing all things for that has been secured for us in Christ Jesus. A home that by God's grace, we want to invite as many people over to dinner for as we can. Because the wedding feast of the lamb will surely be worth any famine that we experience here. 
Let's pray.